This week on the Access Louisville podcast, we'll talk about a big new riverfront development. Plus, we've got a new restaurant coming in on the East End. Plus, we'll talk about a project to turn an old Walmart store into something new. It's a lot to unpack. Stick around. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today is Haley Coffin. Hi there. Marty Finley. How's it going? And Chris Larson. Hey, hey. Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Well, sort of. I took off last week for a vacation, but we're back to being a weekly podcast. So each week, we bring you the latest news and plenty of sharp opinions on what's going on right here in Louisville, Kentucky or very close to it. We're going to start off this week in Clarksville, Indiana, right across the river, to talk about this big riverfront development. Uh, Marty, you wrote about this one. Uh, it's called Bow and Tie. So what's going on over there? Yeah, Bolt and Tie, B-O-L-T. Bolt and Tie, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Um, Long yeah, week. I was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a project that's kind of been under the radar considering how large it is. Uh, it's a new four-story mixed-use development, 135,000 square feet. They just had, they're actually having a big celebration, kind of grand opening today mm-hmm. as we're recording this. So, um, but yeah, it's a little bit different because we see a lot of mixed-use apartments and retail apartments and restaurants. This is apartments and workspace. So they've got an entire floor of what they're calling the Elevate Office Suites. So it's different types of office suites some smaller ones, larger ones, even what they're calling like micro retail suites. And then they've got, uh, a little bit of restaurant space. They're looking to bring in a restaurant user pretty close to naming someone. They just aren't yet ready to pull the trigger on that. But yeah, uh, yeah. so that one is kind of, like I said, been been uh, kind of flying under the radar, but it's a 22, uh, it's over $20 million project. So yeah. it's, it's, it's significant and it's right there uh, on the riverfront. So you got great views of both the river and the skyline in, in downtown Louisville. So yeah, looks um, to be a great use for that space, which was at one time a rail yard and then, uh, more recently was in a warehouse building. So it's an elevated use for that property compared to what was used to be there. Yeah. So normally when we, when there's a project like this, we'll hear about it from the moment it's proposed all the way to the moment that it's finished. But this one just kind of snuck up and it's like, Oh, Hey, what's that? Oh, look at that place <laughs> that's finished. So it did kind of fly under the radar. Uh, wh- where does the name come from? Bolton tie. Yeah, so I, that was one thing we actually discussed before the interview, and then I talked to Corey Hain, who was the, one of the de- developers with the Cornerstone Group. Um, we kind of had a theory that it was railroad-related, and he did say it was kind of a nod to their railroad path. It was, like I said, a rail yard at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, you know, he talked about the connectedness because, you know, you're, you're connecting residents to the area, but you're also connecting businesses. You're putting, you know, creating that office space there. Uh, so it's kind of tying to, the notion that boats tie things together. Um, mm-hmm. And so this, this thing is hoping to tie community together and people that work and live there together. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of got a dual meaning and, and both, you know, it's industrial past, but also it's kind of a meaning of connectedness is yeah. what they want to bring about with this. I can tell there's some sentimentality there. And I guess this developer has also been invested in, the waterfront there in Southern Indiana for a while with water tower square too, right? Yeah, this is actually in water tower square. It's a 28 acre mixed use business park. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been investing there since I think almost since they've become a company 
mm-hmm. uh, back in the seventies. They, I think they were founding in the early 1970s and the seventies is when they started investing there. And they, from what I understand, they're going to continue investing. This isn't their last hurrah there. They, um, kind of tease that they're working on something else. They didn't say why, uh, but said that they already are kind of looking at their next big project. So yeah. uh, hopefully some more news is coming there. Uh, and it sounded like it would be in that that area. So, um, you know, they're kind of putting this one to bed after seven or eight years of planning and kind of moving on to the to another project. So, uh, but yeah, there is definitely a lot of sentimentality there um, with the, uh, the amount of money, but also the, just the amount of time and the years that they've spent uh, yeah. working there. And it's the Hain family, um, and I guess mm-hmm. they uh, they've been invested in Water Tower Square, and I guess they have a a good eye for this kind of development because I always thought Water Tower Square was um, kind of a uh, a forward looking development with Kai's and uh, mm-hmm. some of the office space that there. It, it always seemed um, pretty modern um, mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of uh, ahead of its time. Not to insult the rest of Jeff, but uh, but it definitely has its own feel. Uh, so is this kind of development, is that unusual there in, in the Clarksville area? I guess we don't see a lot in Clarksville with like office well, space. And- you're seeing more because um, this is upscale housing. This, you know, a two bedroom there, the largest two bedroom is $2,500. So that that's a per month, a, I guess. Yeah, per month. So that's what you're seeing in like downtown Louisville with some of their upscale units. Yeah. Uh, so they're definitely going, you know, trying to, to tap into that luxury market in uh, the Clarksville, Jeffersonville area. The Walcott just opened. Uh, in downtown jail, really close to the walking pedestrian bridge there at Big Four Station. Similarly, Prost, uh, there are also some new upscale uh, condos for sale downtown. So we're seeing more of that upscale housing coming to jail for some of the, the growth there with restaurants and, mm-hmm. and downtown retail. And like I said, the, the walking bridge is still really popular um, and it's driving a lot of that growth. So yeah. it's becoming less less unusual within the last year or two. Uh, but it is a little bit different, like I said earlier, to see office space, co-working space being that component with apartments. You usually see some kind of retail or, uh, and like I said, there will be some rest- a restaurant in there, but it's usually more restaurant retail oriented. So yeah. that's a little bit different. That's not something we've been seeing every day uh, locally. I know a lot of Louisvillians won't believe me, but uh, Jeff has become a cool place. You know, I really think, uh, and I had high hopes for Jeff. Uh, I'm not from Louisville, so I don't have that, you know, hand wave of Indiana thing going. Uh, you know, I, I, I've always appreciated Jeff. I worked in Jeff uh, at the News and Germine for a long time. I'm originally from Kentucky and then uh, from Bardstown and then moved moved there or moved up here and, and worked there for, for six years before I came to business first. So I've always had this appreciation for Jeff. And there was a lot of talk back when I was there about Jeff's future. And now it kind of looks like that future has really uh, come on, uh, you know, when we see developments like that. So, uh, Haley, one thing I wanted to ask you about here, this place has a co-working space. So what's the word on co-working spaces these days? I know, um, you know, they were big for startups for a while, but has COVID been a big setback for co-working or is that seen as something that that's going to be positive for co-working space? I just kind of wanted to see what you thought since you cover a lot of the startup scene. Yeah. Um, so from what I can what I can gather just from talking with co-working operators, um, it's a short-term setback, but it's going to have a long-term benefit um, to mm-hmm. the co-working market. So short-term, they lost a lot of um, their folks during, especially during the beginning of COVID, where a lot of um, schools were having children working 
working from home. So that would, or learning from home. So parents would stay home with their kids. So they, they lost a, a lot of their tenants during that time. But now that schools are getting back open and parents can send their kids along for the day, they're feeling more comfortable um, you know, renewing those leases or getting back into proper office spaces. So I think that that's one thing that's changing. But long term, um, with many companies picking up the hybrid work environment of some days in the office, um, some days at home, or, you know, shifting to like, we don't want big overhead office space, you know, we'll, we'll rent some flex space, right. but um, we can have a couple employees in at a time. I think, you know, that's going to be um, a big catalyst for co-working even though I would it, think so yeah yeah even so though it, go on I was just gonna say even though it had um, some setbacks during COVID I think you know as time goes on um, they'll find the benefit from companies kind of shifting their idea around how people can work yeah I remember Marty you wrote about um, the office market here and you were saying that people want shorter term leases at least during the <laughs> pandemic so I would think that would be a boon for co-working spaces because I don't know how their leases look, but my understanding is they're, they're generally pretty short term, maybe even month to month style leases. Uh, maybe you get a discount if you go longer than that, but uh, it probably depends on the space. And I, I believe on. some of the co-working space at Bolton Tie is free. So like oh, you really? can go in there and work without having to pay. I don't know how much of that. A lot of Holy the smokes. Are <laughs> now the suites you have to pay for, but there is some public facing co-working space that is available for free for a a certain period of time there's more details on the website but um awesome. but yeah that's a little bit different you don't really see that so uh, there's also i think um i think that there's some conference room space that's also f- has some kind of public facing component so you know we may see a little bit more of that where you know places offer you know up certain amounts of space for free yeah to the public so well, that's uh, that that's awesome. Uh, you know, I've kind of as as we've been coming back from COVID, I've kind of thought I, I'm kind of done with working from home, <laughs> and I doubt I want to come into the office every day. So I've kind of been thinking like there needs to be this third space that I can go to. So maybe uh, maybe I'll be heading over to Bolton Tie and uh, see if I can check out some of their free co working space because I think a co working environment would be good for me because I like people around. I used to call myself an introvert, but this this uh, pandemic has uh, changed my perspective. I do like people around a little, <laughs> so uh, so it might be nice to uh, check that out. Uh, I would say, co- sorry, go on. I was going to say, uh, I think co working is kind of the evolution of the coffee shop. Like before, all of these freelancers and tech gurus and entrepreneurs would be like huddled around coffee shops and they still are for the mm-hmm. most part but it gives them like a more professional concrete space maybe with a mailing address yeah. and a conference space and that type of thing just to you know give something that um coffee shops can't can't less have. coffee more shop they probably I was have actually coffee gonna say the free working space it just uh, i was gonna make a quick but it wasn't swift enough to jump in on the conversation while marty was talking it's like so you mean they have a coffee shop yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I, I love coffee shops i've written probably 200 stories in coffee shops yeah before, so me too the only thing like i feel obligated to buy something if i go to a coffee shop there is uh, that you don't want to be a freeloader the yeah. coffee shop. well what's so, wrong with buying more coffee like i don't see the issue here <laughs> yeah that's true but like i don't know i i usually if i get a cup of coffee at a coffee shop it is 
I'm I'm going like it's like way stronger than I'm used to. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> so so I can probably only handle one coffee at a coffee shop, but uh but you know, that'll give like me an hour. Danishes so. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They buy. got danishes and stuff. Uh they got treats. I can buy something else. <laughs> All right. Well, um uh, see, I kind of thought the whole WeWork thing kind of made me think that maybe maybe co-working space is in trouble, but I think that was maybe just that company i and think the concept is fine you know yeah i think we work was a very public mistake <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like it made a a, necess- a bad name for co-working that um really really adds some kind of value but we work um turned out to be uh something else <laughs> entirely yeah. and um and if you no go ahead Haley. i'm sorry if you haven't if you haven't seen the we work documentary i think it's on hulu um, there, there's another one in the works, but yeah, I think the one you're talking about is on Hulu. Yeah, um, you should watch it uh, just because it's um, it's crazy to think about how all of this blew up and just like the mindset that the company had or the company's leaders had um, and kind of what led to its downfall. Um, but I would say all of the co-working spaces that are in Louisville and the Southern Indiana area, you know, they're locally owned <laughs> and they're not trying to be some mega conglomerate where they're opening up 10 locations and yeah. none of them ha- have those ambitions. They're very community focused and very, you know, locally focused. Chris, did you add something to add on that? Yeah. Two things. It's really unfortunate that we work, you know, imploded, you know, like some supernova in the way that it did because it made a bad name for, we were like for co-working generally, like for a little while, a couple of years ago, I always kind of chuckled to myself whenever there's a new project, especially one that's maybe seen as maybe a little more like hip, like, you know, redevelopment or gentrification of some like downtown property. And it's like, oh, and by the way, it's going to have a co-working space. It's like, it was almost a requirement for a little while. I was like, oh yeah, of course it's got a co-working space. Well, I- ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and I remember, like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, just going to say like on the, the second thing, like, I know it's an extreme example. The whole WeWork thing is like, a really extreme example of like why you know as you know investors need to be like super prudent on like the kind of startups they invest in and it's like a you know a, a cautionary tale of like not getting duped by super charismatic you know leaders you know like the guy whose name i can't remember who was in charge of WeWork. like without him like that whole thing you know falls apart and without you know some you know kind of central dynamic you know figure figure or if there is one uh, you can convince anybody to to pay you anything. It's just how good you sell it. And that guy, man, he sold that company like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, some yeah. people can sell. <laughs> go <on. laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Marty. I was going to say, uh, kind of, of a podcast. <laughs> kind of build, building all forces. They made, uh, I think it's even worse than that because uh, on the beat, on my beat, of course, we'll say beat. It became like we work with synonymous with co working space. So people would say we're going to have WeWork style office space. They wouldn't say co-working space. They would say a WeWork style. So yeah, I think that really, to his point, I think it did hurt co-working space because it became so synonymous with WeWork. Exactly. Well, and I still remember um, back when I first came to Louisville in spring 2019, I remember like one of the big conversation pieces was like, well, Louisville doesn't have a WeWork. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know nothing about WeWork and I don't care. Um, but you know, it turns out, uh, hindsight's 2020. It's nice that Louisville doesn't have a WeWork and we just have all these local spots. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure what I could say, Marty. I'll delete this if I have to. But we heard rumors right before the pandemic of a of a WeWork coming to Louisville, and then the pandemic put everything on hold, and then mm-hmm. then all the drama happened with WeWork. So, um, but, to, but to that point too, like it got to the point where anything big that was there's something mysterious about it. People would say, "Is WeWork going there?" I mean, it became like this kind of yeah, joke yeah. Almost. It became like, like the WeWork's. We were Top Golf or, or or what was the store that we didn't have at Costco for a long time? Every time we had a vacant Ikea, lot, Ikea, which we're never going to get Ikea. Yeah, but is Costco or... going there? And now it's Ikea. Is Ikea going there? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess we'll never get Ikea. I don't know why everybody likes Ikea as much, but Ikea, I've never been to, to one. Be in an air, so. You have to be in an area of 2 million people or more, and we're not. We're 1.3. So, not if you count us all twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, you know, that's why they have some like in the Indianapolis area and others, but yeah, it's got that kind of demographic. But so anyway, no, no need to worry about if we're getting IKEA because the numbers don't work. So. Yeah. So way to way to douse us with reality. <laughs> um, all right. So other real estate topic, we'll switch over to Norton uh, Healthcare. It's building something new. It's it's using a former uh, property. So, Chris, what's going on with Norton? a former Walmart neighborhood market at 3101 Poplar Road. That's right next to the Norton Audubon Hospital. Mm-hmm. They're going to change that into a big medical office building to house uh, a bunch of different uh, offerings through their Norton Community Medical Associates. That's their physician group. Yeah, it's like the primary care group. And I think, um, so this will, I think you wrote that uh, this will allow some of the stuff inside the Audubon Hospital to expand uh, as, as some of those uh, primary care physicians move out. Yeah, that's right. Now, they're going to consolidate a couple of primary care practices that are on the Norton Audubon campus into the new building, and that will make room for Norton Heart and Vascular Institute to expand on the Audubon campus. Norton's kind of, Norton Audubon has informally kind of been known as the heart hospital because of their concentration of, spe- of that specialty on that campus. Uh, in that building, they're also gonna have you know, primary care offerings, a couple lab spaces, radiology spaces, and a couple of their uh, rooms where they can see patients will include telehealth capabilities. So if you can't or you don't want to make it out to go see your doctor, you can just get on a phone, laptop, tablet and talk to your doctor uh while they're still in their you know in their normal workspace yeah yeah and that's something that's grown in the pandemic too um so did they put a price tag on the uh the walmart uh redevelopment project yeah so our uh public documents and then getting a little bit more information from norton shows that the total cost is going to be about 13 million Mm dollars that includes a four million dollar price tag to uh buy the buy that particular property from the Walmart uh, real estate business trust. Uh, the rest of it's going to be, you know, renovations. You got to, you got to do a lot to convert a warehouse type retail space into a medical office. Like you got to put up all the, all those interior walls, you redo all the, you know, electrical, get it ready for radiology and things like that. So the bulk of the cost of the project is going to be giving this re- retail space a completely new life totally different than what it was before. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the first time Norton has been redeveloping a former retail store into a medical facility. I guess they're doing something similar, but very different at, uh, at the former Kmart on Breckenridge, correct? Yeah, that Kmart, it's been 
been closed for a while. So what they're doing there is being the uh, anchor uh, tenant for that project. I believe it, that spot is owned by the McMahon Group, and they're put. Norton is putting in a big lab. They own a subsidiary called CPA Labs that does all of their you know, lab work for their hospitals and other uh, physician locations. Mm-hmm. So with them being the anchor tenant there, you know they're doing something you know similar where they're bre- helping to breathe new life into defunct uh, big box retail spaces. Yeah. And uh, that's like a drive-through facility, if I remember correct. So you get you can get like a flu test or a COVID test in your car. Right. So that's that's next to it. So uh, there's a big parking lot space out there by the uh, oh, okay by the Kmart, and they actually built something that looks like you know a uh, quick you know a oil change like quick change yeah like a uh, Valvoline type of place yeah like a Valvoline or a Jiffy Lube where they have bays where you can just drive through, stay in your car, and if you need to get you know. a uh, you know, flu test, COVID test, or you got a kid that you want to give them a, a, a strep test because they got a sore throat, don't need to get them out of the car. You're able to have, you know, people gowned up or in whatever PPE that they need to be in to come get the sample and get you up back on your way. There's other diagnostic stuff there other than the drive-through, but it's yeah. kind of a permanent fixture that's com- completely and totally inspired by the pandemic. But it's also adopting like this other element of retail that's has absolutely nothing to do with with healthcare, right? That being like the Jiffy Lube model style of building. Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea because honestly, waiting in the waiting room at a doctor's office pre-pandemic, you were always like, "Oh God, what am I supposed to sitting here? You know, waiting? Why can't why can't I wait outside or why can't I wait in my car?" And this way, you never leave your car. So yeah, I think it's and a good that's idea. that's that's actually in the people that I talk to, that's going to be a, probably a permanent change. I bet. They're, like it's just you're there's operational ways to have the uh clinical healthcare experience just be a lot more efficient a lot less you know frustrating and time consuming for people and part of that's just getting rid of uh getting rid of waiting rooms and being you more efficiently scheduling and communicating with patients Mm -hmm. so yeah you can expect waiting rooms to go away if not completely like almost to the point of near extinction in the future yeah and i bet even as things get more advanced i can't remember if norton has this but um like you could geofence, uh, you know, an area and then they can kind of tell when you pulled into the parking lot, if, you know, if you've enabled that setting on your phone or whatever, then you could probably, you could probably yeah. do that with the, what's their app called? So their, so chart. their app's called, uh, it's a version of my chart from the electronic health record provider Epic. And yeah, this talking to a guy who's, in, who's overseeing the operational side of the development of this building said that they'll enable geofencing. To where if you allow certain settings within their what's called my Norton chart app mm-hmm. uh, to work, you know, they can help you get checked in just by driving up and having your cell phone on your person. So that wasn't my bright idea. That came out of a story that you wrote and I probably read and forgot that I read it. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a possibility. <laughs> well, you said it. Makes it. Sense. It makes sense to me because like if restaurants can give you those little table buzzers, like why can't doctor's offices, you know, <laughs> use their app to say like, Hey, we're ready for you. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> why can't restaurants do that too? Yeah. <laughs> use like the open table app or something. Um, anyway, there's some good ideas for those people working in WeWork uh, spaces <laughs> to develop for us. Um Let's see, but not WeWork, other places. <laughs> but, uh, let's see. So Norton, just to give people an idea, Norton's the biggest healthcare provider in Louisville in terms of what? They have the biggest number of hospitals, correct? And 
Yeah, they have, I think, I can't remember what the uh, count is, but we Louisville Business First tracks, you know, the area's largest hospitals. And I'm pretty sure Norton controls the most and the biggest hospital, at least according to you know, registered bed count. And that's Norton Hospital in downtown Louisville. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the market, right, uh, according to some state data that's a you know a couple of years old but you know since it comes from the state government i it's guess we should probably be grateful still that up it's, to date that's yeah. you know that's only that old uh they accounted for 55 percent of the total hospital discharges in the area and and uh 90 percent of the uh discharges for specifically for children's at norton children's hospital in the in the area as well so all right. Well, let's switch to uh, a less complicated topic. Uh, but uh, well, maybe I don't know. It depends on how interested you are in steak. But um, Haley, uh, Capital Grill, I guess, is this new uh, restaurant that's announced uh, it's coming to town. So where are they going? Yeah, it's called the Capital Grill, and uh, they're planning. They filed plans to build a uh, restaurant in the parking lot near Oxmoor Center. So near Oxmoor and Oxmoor Lane and Shelbyville Road. Um, I think they're planning to build a restaurant in that parking lot. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it's an upscale kind of place, right? So I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of in, I don't know if you can tell me, but is it kind of in the same league with Ruth Chris and Jeff Ruby or uh, is it, uh, where does it kind yeah. of fall? Yeah, it's definitely upscale. Um, definitely, um, you know, fine dining, um, esque if that's a if that's a descriptor um but definitely falls into those same categories as jeff ruby's what um eddie merlot's was before it closed in louisville ruth chris yeah and um for the record um our our former interim publisher bob sylvie emailed me after the story came out and said it was one of his favorite restaurants in kansas city so that tells you that's something high there. praise because high bob praise sylvie. from bob sylvie <laughs> He is a foodie. He's a foodie and a Yelper, and he takes things very serious. Yes. So that's high praise from Bob Silby. Um, uh, and and especially for a guy from Kansas, I think I for some reason think people in in Middle America have like they have bona fides when they talk about steak. <laughs> Yeah, for some reason they do have uh, some kind of higher uh, <laughs> higher opinion over meat in general, like including barbecue and <laughs> exactly. other cuts of meat. <laughs> they're out there. They're doing stuff with yeah. steaks and barbecue. That's that's what they do out in the Midwest. So, uh, but yeah, a good point there. And I think um, hopefully I'm not getting into tr- into trouble here. But uh, I think you described the website as uh, it looked like it reminded you of your grandma's curtains. <laughs> <laughs> well um it just looked a little stuffy it looked a little old school and i don't there's nothing against that um maybe yeah. it's more classic than uh, i think the website was like it's a fine develop uh, like I, I think it's functionally it looked okay but you're right it did kind of have this um aesthetic to it that kind of reminded me of my grandma's curtains <laughs> yeah i don't know why um <laughs> that's just a great descriptor i just wanted to share. and the capital grill if by some slim chance you're listening to this um no hard feelings <laughs> about your website <laughs> right uh let's see so are you guys uh are you guys much into upscale steakhouses or steak in general i'll i'll put this this way i've tried ruth chris and i'm the food was good but i'm didn't really love the service. Uh, it was like Valentine's Day, and you know, of course, it was busy as hell. 
there, but I made a reservation and I had to wait an hour and I'm like, well, why would I make a reservation if I had to wait an hour? Um, and maybe I'm just being, uh, one of those, uh, uh, what's the word entitled customers, uh, by saying that, but, uh, anyway, I have not tried a lot of the other upscale steakhouses. I do love making steak at home. In fact, upon writing this podcast script, I was like, I texted my wife and I was like, do you want to make steak tonight? <laughs> because I started thinking about steak. Uh, so I don't know. Are you guys much into, uh, are you going to check this place out? Um, I'll start. I'm not into super fine dining steakhouses um, just because it's really fancy and not some place that I can eat all the time. Um, right. I'd like to eat special steak. occasion. Yeah. I'd like to eat steak more than once a year. Um, so I would say I'm more of like a Texas roadhouse medium middle of the market type of steak girl. If I'm, if I'm eating out. Um, yeah. but I also enjoy, you know, several local steak places, um, uh, that, well, not several steak places, but I would say several local restaurants that make a mean steak. Um, mm-hmm. Like I really enjoy 1816 Modern Kitchen and Drinks here in Corden, where I live. They have a good steak. Um, and uh, there, there's a, plenty of other restaurants that you can get a good steak at, too, but they aren't the necessary, like, fancy upscale steakhouse. <laughs> right. Um I will say that I've had like $150 steak and I've had a $40 steak and I can't really taste the difference. They're both very good. So yeah, there's yeah. just like, I think there's a certain like, you know, point past which you're not really, you're not really paying for any better of a steak. Exactly. You're paying for, you're paying for a better experience and a much more famous, you know, chef or a much more famous restaurant. I mean, I, but again, understand that that comment comes from a guy who would much rather prefer to, you know, spend 20, 30 bucks on steak at Kroger and then cook it himself because he's too cheap to go pay, you know, pay, you know, for someone I'm else to cook same it at a way. restaurant. I like, like Haley said, I like to eat steak more than once or twice a year. So oh, yeah. I'm mostly going to go to Kroger or, or, or a butcher shop or something and, you know, buy it, cook it myself and, and it'll and I, I'm very good at cooking steak, so I know I'll make it exactly right, <laughs> and and that'll be the way to go. Marty, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm kind of with Haley. I, I do like Texas Roadhouse. I really like Cast Iron in Jeffersonville down on the riverfront. It's a little bit more mm, expensive than Texas Roadhouse, but but it's not you know Jeff Ruby's Ruth Chris. You can go there more than once a year, uh, yeah. so they're not. It's probably like a twenty dollar steak or twenty two dollar steak or something, but. Um, I did just have steak and lobster because it was my 10th anniversary. So I did go a little bit finer dining just nice. last week. Uh, my wife and I both had steak and lobster. So, um, where'd you go? You know, I'll, wh- yeah, we, um, you know, we were going to go to Brooklyn and the butcher. We ended up going to Longhorn, which isn't really upscale, but they do have a really good surf and turf. So that's why we end up going there. Cause yeah. we decided that we're just going to get steak. And I was like, well, we want kind of like to have surf and turf. So we ended up there, but uh, it was a little pricier than we would normally pay uh, for steak and uh, a steak dinner. So, but yeah, you know, I've gone to Brooklyn and Butcher and some of the other ones that are, you know, sort of like mid-level fine dining or whatever, but yeah, it has to be a special occasion. I'm not going to just go just any day of the week. So. Yeah. But I yeah. do love steak and I make it at home as well. So I do like to eat it quite frequently. Um, I started a delicious tradition in my family by accident. Uh, my mom moved to Florida and I needed to send her a gift, uh, for, for Christmas. So I sent her, um, a, uh, uh, what's that steak place? Omaha steaks, uh, package. And she 
thought it was such a nice gesture that she sent me one and then my sister sent me one like the next year or something and i'm hoping that this continues that we continue sending each other omaha steaks because uh i tell you there's just nothing better than you know finding that on your porch and having like two weeks worth of, of meat to <laughs> to cook out or whatever a great opportunity to do a little bit of intentional miscommunicating to be like oh yeah who's got so-and-so for this year's you know christmas gift like and then like have us be like your sister and your mom send you steaks the same year and be like oh no what a oh, no. terrible thing happened <laughs> yeah exactly um but uh yeah i don't know if you guys have tried those but uh great gifts and sometimes they come back to you if you do that so uh there's a nice plug for free for omaha steaks uh Thanks, sponsorship. Again, yeah again <laughs> um people me plugging people in the midwest knowing uh knowing about meat uh so Haley, this is a darden owned restaurant uh capitol grill uh, back to them. Uh, and, uh, this is their, they, they have some other restaurants here, I guess, cause they own Olive Garden, right. Yep. And a couple other things. Um, but this is their first location for Capitol Grill here, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, so Darden restaurants, um, owns Olive Garden. I think they also own Longhorn and then like, gosh, I want to say like five other brands, um, that I've never heard of, yeah. um, smaller brands, but Capitol Grill, I think has, um, I want to say 62 or 63 locations. Um, like, and I think the closest one to us is in Indianapolis. Um, they also have one in Memphis um, and four in Chicago and then others sprinkled around the U S but yeah, yeah, definitely the first location uh, for this market and the um, media contact that I reached out to for this story. Didn't want to tell me any more details, but uh, we'll, we'll be following this one. Yeah, I'm sure it'll, uh, it's sure it'll pop, pop back up. Uh, Jason Thomas, regular on the show here. I think he said he's tried the one in Indy and, uh, and thought it was, uh, a pretty good upscale place. And, uh, I'll also give Shay, our editor, a shout out. He loves, uh, he loves some Jeff Ruby's. So uh, a lot of steak lovers in this office, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think that's it for this week's show. Uh, before we sign off, we'll go around the uh, room and let you guys share where the audience can find you on social media. Haley, I'll start with you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BF Lou Haley. And I'm actually sharing my stories on LinkedIn now. Like I've pushed myself and I'm going to start remembering to post them on there. Um, so look for me on LinkedIn if you haven't already. And uh, I'll be sharing some more content on there as well. Nice. Uh, Chris. Yeah, find me on LinkedIn too. I'm there all the time. That's where that's my, that's my where I live in terms of social media. Uh, you can also find me at BF Lou Chris on Twitter. All right. And Marty. Yeah, you can find me primarily on Twitter at BF Lou Marty, but also on LinkedIn under my name. LinkedIn just thanked me for posting my first post ever the other day. So I'm noting what to do over there because <laughs> wow. I posted many times well on done. LinkedIn, but it apparently thought I was a new user. So, oh, um, okay. Don't yeah, know what the deal say. was there. It's like, like, don't like, let somebody find that out. Yeah. So you just posted for the first time. I'm like, nope, sorry. Hmm, posted many times. But anyway, I am posting uh, regularly on LinkedIn too. So nice. Despite what it says, I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, despite what the record says. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at dman3001. You can also find me on LinkedIn as well under my name. You can find this podcast on popular services like Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Thank you very much, Haley, Chris, and Marty. And thank you guys for listening to us at home. And we'll see you next time. Bye.